Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The NFL really does never sleep. It never sleeps. It never rests. The Super Bowl is not the end of the year. Well, it's the end of the season, but it's not the end of the NFL. Not even close, because we go right from the Super Bowl to the Combine, to free agency, to the draft, and before you know it, guys are showing up to work once again. And apparently there is one other addition to the NFL offseason. Something that I did not necessarily expect, but I should have expected. The addition to the NFL offseason schedule is Tom Brady. Because this dude simply will not go away. Remember when it was reported that he had retired? And then he said on his own podcast that he was still thinking about it? And then a few hours later, he then doubled back and he dropped the Magna Carta on social media to let you know he was, in fact, retired. And then remember how a few days after that, he went on his podcast and he said this. I'm just going to take things as they come. You know, I think that's the best way to put it. And I don't think anything never, you know, you never say never. And, you know, at the same time, I know that I'm very, I feel very good about my decision. So I don't know how it feels six months from now. But, you know, I try to make the best possible decision I can in the moment, which I did this last week. And again, I think it's not looking to, you know, reverse course. I'm definitely not looking to do that. But in the same time, I think you have to be realistic that you never know what, what challenges there are going to be in life. And um, again, I love playing. I'm looking forward to doing things other than playing. This dude. I mean, this dude. Listen to that quote. Forget the never say never part. Listen to the part where he says, I try to make the best possible decision I can in the moment, which I did this last week. You know, I try to make the best possible decision I can in the moment, which I did this last week. I mean, I can't tell if that's like the flakiest thing ever or the most look at me thing ever or both. I try to make the best decision possible that I can in in the moment, which I did this last week. And then he pretty much goes on to say that he'd be fine to change his mind this week or next week. Dude, are you retired or not? Are you retired or not? Are you just going to jerk everybody around all offseason, depending on how you feel in any given moment? Is that how it is? Is this not supposed to be one of the all-time great leaders in the history of sports? I mean, how about this part? Again, I think it's not looking to, you know, reverse course. I'm definitely not looking to do that. But in the same time, I think you have to be realistic that you never know what what challenges there are going to be in life. Listen, there's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Then there's talking out your ass. Again, I'm not looking to reverse course, but I'm looking to reverse course. I'm not looking to reverse course. He says as he slams the gear stick into reverse and guns the engine. And if you thought that story from last week was just a last week thing, it's not. It's not. It's still going. Because according to Mike Sando of The Athletic, there is a belief in some circles that Brady not only wants to keep playing, but he knows exactly where he wants to do it. With the 49ers. Quote, it's well established. Brady long hoped to play for the San Francisco 49ers. He rooted for them as a child, end quote. And then you might even be thinking, yeah, well, to play in that system, don't you have to have some mobility? 
Don't you need some mobility? Don't you have to get up and move around just a little bit? I mean, would the guy really be a good fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense? Yeah, well, an anonymous coach gave the athletic his thoughts on that. And it turned out to be the ultimate sledgehammer of a quote when referencing Matt Ryan being the league MVP in 2016. This anonymous coach told the athletic, and I quote, check this out. This is the ultimate wait for it. Check this quote. Quote, Brady is more athletic now than Ryan was then. End of quote. (laughs) That's incredible. I mean, on the one hand, I could see why whoever said that didn't want to put their name to it. But on the other hand, I can't see why they wouldn't want to put their name to it because that's one of the most incredible quotes ever. I mean, Matt Ryan's got to be sitting somewhere, minding his own business, maybe having some coffee, maybe looking at a tablet or going old school and reading a newspaper. And then he just gets taken the hell out by some sniper on the hill. A 44-year-old man is more athletic than a dude who won the MVP when he won the MVP. That's got to be one of the most brutal assessments of athleticism I've ever heard. A 44-year-old Tom Brady is more athletic than Matt Ryan of six years ago when Ryan was the league MVP. This dude looks like he's carrying a piano on his back most of the time, yet he's more athletic than Matt Ryan. Listen to this. This is part of what you sign up for if you're a pro athlete, right? Hearing criticism and slights from people who may or may not know what the hell they're talking about. From people who may or may not actually put their name to it. Ryan knows this, right? But this is different. In fact, you can go ahead and add this to our universal list of reasons to go. Somebody spits in your face, you go. Somebody insults your race or religion, you go. Somebody threatens or disrespects your significant other, you go. Someone says Tom Brady is more athletic today than you were when you won the MVP, you go. Let's go! And while Matty Ice tries to ice up after that savage quote, Ice! The argument behind this whole phony retirement thing is that retiring makes a trade to Frisco easier. This is also so, so rich. Quote, follow this now. Quote, by retiring, Brady has gracefully told the Buccaneers he will not play for them again. Tampa Bay has less reason to play hardball with Brady when there's no chance he will play for them. By leaving open the door to play again, Brady is in position to accept a trade if one can be worked out. He never has to be the bad guy. He doesn't really have to do anything. End of quote. Yeah, correction. All right, that's just not right. That's not accurate. Correction. He has to do all this Brett Favre crap about pretending to retire and then unretire and drag all of us through it. If he wants to be a 49er, great. If he gets to live out his childhood dream, even better. If he wants to assemble a late career Patrick Ewing jersey collection in the process, cool but not at the expense of the rest of us. Don't come in here and tell me he won't be the bad guy if he's creating this drama on a weekly basis just to get traded to the Niners so he can play one more year for his childhood team. Because then he would be a bad guy. You know why? As a nation, we have already suffered enough. We had to live through the final years of Brett Favre and everything that went with that. We should not have to bear witness to this horror all over again. 
This dude's already insufferable when he's just playing football and posting weak garbage on social media. This, though, is different. This now is next level. And wait, it gets worse. It gets even more insufferable. Check this out. Quote, a month ago, when word was circulating through league channels that Brady was considering retirement, some close to the situation indicated the quarterback had grown frustrated with some of the Buccaneers' coaching. End quote. Can we spend a minute on that? Exactly what could this guy possibly be frustrated with? What did they ever do to him aside from give him everything he ever wanted? Why don't we walk the thin line of blasphemy when it comes to off-season workouts? You got it, Tom. Whatever you want. Hey, hey, I want Gronk. You got it, Tom. Whatever you need. Hey, you know what? Let's get the serial agent of chaos, Antonio. Go get me AB. You got it, Tommy. And then when Brown gets busted for a fake vaccine card, Brady made sure that he stuck around until A.B. himself bounced. I mean, what else do you want the coaches to do? You won a Super Bowl in your first year there. You were the number two seed in the playoffs before you lost at home. Can I repeat that? You won a Super Bowl in your first year, and you were a two seed the next. So exactly what is the beef? That you lost at home in the playoffs? Is that what this guy's been about? Did he not like the game plan against the Rams? So he just quit? I mean, that would be incredible. That would be incredible. It's been two weeks since he announced his, quote, retirement. And these two weeks have been full of him talking about how he's not really retired. I mean, already I'm sick of it. Retire or don't. I don't even care. Just make up your mind. Retire or don't. But whatever you do, do not drag us through this crap. Because it really is insufferable. I know this dude's all about pitching his branded merch. But is he selling anything that will make me forget about him immediately? I'll pay anything for that at this point. If he's got some sort of memory erasing pill or some injection that will make me forget all of this happened or at least mute all of this somehow, some way, sign me up. I'll pay for it. Name your price. I'll give you a blank check. I'll stroke a check right now. I mean, come on, dude, don't do this. Nobody wants an entire offseason of this. Are you retired or not? You never say never. Never say never is one thing, but like to say that I made this decision in this moment last week, that's how I felt at that time. Yeah, how many times are you going to change your mind? And, and by the <laughs> way, is this all? Don't get cute and think that you're doing this and that nobody knows what you're doing if it's an elaborate plan to get to the 49ers because for whatever reason, you don't like the Bucs anymore. I'm not doing this. Do not look for me to give you a daily update on this. That's why I'm laying this out here right now, right here, right now, early and often. I'm not playing that game. You're not taking me for a sucker and taking me for a ride. I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. I'm not here for it. It is insufferable. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried 
tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? He is Eric Weddle. Eric, you have had a day and a half to think about it and sleep on it. How does it feel, Eric, to hear Eric Weddle, Super Bowl champion? Man, it's still uh, – thanks for having me on, first of all. Love love the show. Been uh, always at my back for the longest, so I appreciate you. And, uh, man, I, the dream was dead five weeks ago. And to be able to stand here and say I'm a Super Bowl champ is – I say it's hard to fathom. It, really, it truly is. You know, listen, Eric, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you and the relationship. And, yes, I've had your back because I've got nothing but respect and admiration for you. I definitely want to talk to you about the postseason. I want to talk to you about the game. But like you said, five weeks ago, the dream was dead. So exactly what happened five weeks ago, and how was that dream revived? Shoot, you get a call. Uh, you get a call from Raheem asking to, to come out of the – come out of retirement and uh thinking he's crazy for the for the idea and then you mold it over and go through the rounds of making sure and seeing if this is a possibility or not and at the end of the day man it was uh a second chance at life second chance at a dream to uh join this squad again and lace him up one one last time man who gets that opportunity who gets that chance not many people especially guys that were had been retired and moved on so at the end of the day I just I couldn't live with the regret of not taking that chance and seeing if I could do it and took it ran with it and now Super Bowl champ man it's crazy you are a Super Bowl champ so Eric you're out there and you know I mean you battled your entire career to get to the Super Bowl and then you retire before you get there and I think you were content like it would have been great of course to have that ring but you had left everything out there you could not have done any more to get more out of your career than you did but then you get that second opportunity what emotions were you feeling as you ran onto that field for the Super Bowl on Sunday what was that like what was going through you man it was uh very focused, very, uh, you know, I try to, I try to stay cool, calm and collected, uh, when I'm playing, when, how I play, how I play, how I act. Uh, so it, I wasn't really into all the fiasco, the Super Bowl, the shows, the celebrities, all this other crap. Like literally it was, it was like so much over the top. Like, are we the show or is everyone else the show? You know, like, Hey, can we just get to the game and the two and a half minute timeouts between every series? Like, we just wanted to play, and when the game was being played, there was no better feeling. And I was in my, in my element, in my zone, uh, just trying to do whatever it took to get a win. And uh, we battled, man. This team, mentally, mentally tough, uh, never wavered, just kept believing. And shoot, when we got that ball back to Matt late in the game, we knew he was going to go score, and it was going to be on us to, to steal that game and to be on the field to win that Super Bowl. Uh, was incredible. Eric Weddle, Super Bowl champion, my guest. I thought what you just said, Eric, at the very top of that was so interesting that the Super Bowl, in a lot of ways, can be about everything except football, and you have to compartmentalize, <laughs> and you've got to focus. You know, early in the game, you talked about mental toughness, but early in the game, you suffered a torn pectoral. 
I mean, it sounds yeah. pretty horrible. What did that feel like? And then how were you able to gut, gut through and play 61 snaps? It was clear you were out there on one arm. Yeah, man. It was it was like nothing that I've felt before. Obviously, I never shown a peck. I've separated shoulders, stingers, AC, all, all those stuff. And this one, when it happened in the first quarter, I was like, oh, man, this is this is something's up, right? Something's up. And then later in the drive, I ended up hitting Mixon on that little quick flat route. And I got up and I was like, oh, my gosh, something is really, really wrong. So I came to the sideline and I was like, hey, guys, like, I think something's wrong with my shoulder or my pec. And they checked it and they're like, yeah, it's probably it's definitely torn. Like, it's, it's not there. And I'm like, all right, well, let's let's just harness this up. Like, what 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 can we do? I'm not I'm not leaving this game. Like, this is the I've been waiting for this moment for my entire life. Like, I'm not going to come out. I could still run. I could still make the checks. Uh, and so, man, I just I just didn't want to be not on that field. So I pushed the pain aside and figured uh, I'll worry about the damage when the when the game is over with and. You know, it was well worth it. Surgery set for Friday, and I'm a Super Bowl champ now, so it don't matter. <laughs> Incredible. Eric Weddle is joining us. Incredible. Like, Eric, people are not supposed to do what you just did. They're not supposed to get up off a couch without playing for two regular, full regular seasons and not just win a Super Bowl but be a vital piece of that win. How do you explain that? How did you do that? Man, I love challenges. I love proving people wrong. Uh, and I knew everyone, you know, I got off social media two years ago and it was the best thing I ever did. And I would tell every young guy to do the same thing, especially at this level. But, uh, you know, everyone thought we were crazy. You know, who, who thinks of doing something like this? And honestly, I, I just know deep down that I'm one of the most mentally toughest guys in this world. And when Chanel, when I got on the phone with Chanel after I called Raheem, telling her what was going on, she said, babe, if anyone can do it, you can. And when I heard that, it really just gave me the confidence. Like, she's right. Like, I can do this. Like, I can, I can do something that's never been done before. And to help this team, whatever the role was, like, this was a week-to-week deal. Like, this wasn't, hey, we're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl and you're, you're going to – no, this was, hey, we need you for 10 to 15 snaps Arizona and hopefully we win and we'll see what happens from there. That was the only thing. It was the day-to-day mindset of, of making up for two years – Working out, rehabbing, treatment, eating. I'd never worked so hard and worked more in the last five weeks than ever in my entire career because I had to make up for lost time, and I wanted to make the most of this opportunity. And uh, mind over matter, man. And the mind is powerful when you decide and you commit and give your whole heart to it. And uh, hopefully people can see that an opportunity comes uh, walking along that you're going to take advantage of and you're ready for your op. And to go make the most of it. Dude, that's such a powerful message. I hope people are listening to that very carefully and that's not lost on them. That's a really powerful message that you never know when you're going to get that quote op and you want to make sure you take advantage of it. I mean, just so we're clear on this, that torn pectoral, that's generally a season-ending injury, right? I mean, you need surgery. That should have ended any other season and you were out there playing with it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if, if this was the NFC Championship game and we were getting rid of Super Bowl, I wouldn't be able to play. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a season injury, season ending just so happens that I don't have a game next week and it doesn't really matter. So it didn't matter how much pain I was in. Uh, it wasn't much more damage I could do to it. It's just, if you can do what you need to do as a player and like, if it was a different position, like if I was an old lineman, I couldn't do it. Right. Uh, you know, catching a football, like a receiver running, like 
it just so happened that I was in a play position where if I can manage it, right, and, and make sure I'm tackling with my left arm and not being a total liability out there, which I wasn't, then of course you just gotta you just gotta push the push the pain out, right? It's irrelevant in the moment, right? I've been able to deal with pain over the course of my career because I could block it out. I just say it doesn't matter in the moment. The job's not done. I got to go do this. I got a job to do for my teammates. I got to get the call out. Got to make the calls and get guys lined up and let's go. So uh, I don't know how I did it. Rewatching that game, uh, I just it's it's pretty wild. But man, it's it was totally worth it. I'd do it all over again in, in a heartbeat to win that Super Bowl, and, and that's what we did. Eric, I've always been fascinated, really quickly, about that mentality, that mental toughness, the job not done. I just got to block it out. I just got to get through it. I mean, is this something that only comes from? playing the game from an early age and building that and learning that from a young age and applying that year after year after year after year? Or did you come to this later in your career? Like, where does that mentality come from? I, you know, I think it definitely has been learned. I've been, I've been playing tackle football since I was, you know, nine years old, eight years old. So uh, you learn what you can deal with, what you can't, what you can push through, what you can't. Uh, is it a serious injury where you can't? I always felt like as long as I could run, I'm playing through normal, any injury. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, as long as I can run and cut and do those things and cover guys, then I'll be fine. I'll, I can handle and deal with the rest. And I've been fortunate enough that I never had a lower leg injury that affected me. Uh, but I'm telling you, the mind, you commit and you decide to do something, your mind's going to follow and do and follow suit. And, uh, man, it's just, it's just incredible to uh, – be a Super Bowl champ and to be a part of this team and to be in the history books for the rest of our lives. We're, we were the team to bring an NFL championship back to the city of L.A. I mean, that's just incredible. No, no, no doubt. And your career, as great as it was, you thought had ended without a world championship and then you got a chance to rewrite the ending of it. Like, like you could add another chapter, which is absolutely amazing. So what now, Eric, you get cut on, you take care of that. You go back to being dad. You're going to coach your kids team. Where do you go from here? Yeah. I mean, that's it. Surgery Friday, uh, you know, three, four months, get the, get the arm shoulder pecked back to normal and, uh, get ready to coach my son's 14 U team. we got a championship to defend. And then if I'm fortunate enough, maybe coach them in high school and, uh, shoot, just be there for my girls. Don't miss anything. I do want to still stay connected to the league somehow, whether it's scouting or uh, helping out with, you know, still being with, connected with the coaches and whatnot. And who knows, after my kids are out of high school, see where, see where the, the world takes me, whether it's back in the league or not. But Football will always be a part of my life, I can tell you that. We forgot one thing. Also get fitted for a ring, so that's going to happen, No, no doubt. Ring time, baby. (laughs) Ring time, baby. E-dub, Eric Weddle. Eric, I appreciate you, man. I'm so happy for you. Nobody deserved it more and work for it like that, man. Congratulations to you. Appreciate you, the friendship, the relationship, and thanks so much for coming on today to share your story. Thanks a lot, Rome. means a lot. Super Bowl champ, baby. Always and forever. Always and forever. The best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. 
They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. No huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Houston's coming off a 4-13 season. We are joined by their GM, Nick Casario. Nick, it is nice to have you in the jungle. Nick, how are you? Awesome, Jim. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Forgot to mention fellow clone on that introduction, so I'm definitely a clone. So I appreciate you. I appreciate having me back and really excited. Uh, Nick, I didn't want to be presumptuous. You and I had not <laughs> spoken in a moment or so, but I got to tell you, you know how it is, Nick, and, and you and I will get to the business of the business. But you know what's said? Like, when you have certain people in certain relationships, you can go a long, long time without talking and then pick right up. When your guy Josh McDaniels came on recently, we had a similar vibe. So without me having to go there, I do appreciate Appreciate you acknowledging your jungle roots, Nick. Can't forget him, Jim. Uh, we I go way back with the jungle. Uh, actually, I have a jungle-related story and a smack-off-related story in the same vein. So, you know, I was a big smack-off listener. Haven't listened to smack-off here in a little bit. But um, last week when we had Lovey's introductory press conference, uh, we had an opportunity with our local media um, before the introductory press conference to spend some time, you know, just kind of, beforehand and uh, spent time with our local media and unbeknownst to me, and I had plenty of interactions with Sean Pendergast, but I didn't realize he was the Cablin Asian until he mentioned that he was the Cablin Asian. So we had a big chuckle over that. So uh, when he, when he mentioned to me that, that he's Sean the Cablin Asian, I said, man, you were a pretty good call at the Rome show. And then we proceeded to talk about Jeff and Richmond is 18 to three quarter inch pipes in his luxury sled. So we, we go way back, Jim. There's no question. Nick, this is absolutely incredible. I mean, what, what an incredible story that you did not put the two together that Pendergast is the Cablin Asian <laughs> and that you do remember very distinctly Jeff and Richmond and his 18 and three quarter inch pipes and his luxury sled. But don't forget about the trophy wife and the four acre country estate that he also lives on. Nick, my only question is, and you know, the really critical stuff, not Deshaun Watson, but rather. Rather, are you a jungle insider, and who is still paying on that account, you or McDaniels? Uh, I think we probably both have our own accounts at this point. If not, I'll probably shift that over to Josh since he was most recently named the head coach, so maybe he can pick up the tab the next time. We have this discussion. Too much. Well, listen, I'm having a great old time here, and we could keep doing this, but we should do some business. Nick Casario is joining us. I do appreciate the anecdotes. That's really good stuff. Let me ask you, it's been over a year since you were hired as GM. Nick, what have the last 13 months on the job been like for you? Yeah, it's been interesting, Jim. You know, as you mentioned in the introduction, had the opportunity to be in one place for a long period of time and, you know, had a lot of great memories with a lot of great people. I'd say learned an immense amount over that uh, period of time. Um, and when I took over last year in Houston, it was really just about a new opportunity. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to put yourself in maybe some uncomfortable situations, maybe be comfortable being uncomfortable. And when you go into a new situation, you're really not sure what to expect. So you kind of have to have an open mind, um, keep your eyes open. And honestly, just take it one day at a time. Um, I think what we all realize in the NFL, um, it's constantly about change. I mean, the more, you know, it's never, things never really stay the same. 
Um, so you have to be able to adjust. Um, so I learned a lot um, about myself, learned a lot about, you know, different people, learned a lot about our team. Um, obviously, at the end of this season, you know, we made the decision to make a change um, in a head coaching front. Um, we moved on from Coach Cully. Um, we did a lot of positive things for our program and then hired Lovey Smith. So I think the most important thing is just try to learn every step of the way um, and try to grow as a program. And I think that's what we're going to try to do here as we get ready for, you know, the 2022 season. Nick Casario joining us, GM of the Texans. So, Nick, in terms of that change, what made you see or let you know that it was time for a, a head coaching change? Yeah, there's never one particular thing. You know, I think you go through the year, um, you know, and you have some different either beliefs or philosophies about maybe what the next step may or may not be. And I think, you know, sometimes you're going to have differences of opinion or about processes about what you're going to do. So it's never easy to, to move on from any, any person, any coach, any player. Um, but ultimately, you know, I was brought here to, to run the football operation and, and oversee the organization from that perspective. Um, so in that position of leadership, you know, sometimes you have to make decisions that are difficult, um, but ultimately that you feel are in the best interest of the team and the organization. So that's why we, you know, ended up doing what we did there at the end of the year. Talking to Nick Casario. So, Nick, in terms of Lovey Smith from the outside, correct me if I'm wrong, but from the outside, it seemed like initially the focus was on a young head coach when there were reports of three finalists who were 45 years or younger. You had talked about the Steelers and their process for hiring Mike Tomlin. And then, relatively late in the process, defensive coordinator Lovey Smith interviews and he ends up getting the job. How did that process play out on your end? No, it's an interesting question, Jim. Um, it, it's really kind of a, a long and winding road. Um, it's never kind of you go direct line point A to point B. So I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of good coaches throughout the course of the league. I think the way the league sets up the you know the processes for coaches and candidates and who you interview and who you don't interview, um, sometimes it gets a little jaded and kind of gets a little misguided. But you know, we talked to different coaches um, throughout the course of the process, and, and Lovey was somebody that. Obviously, haven't been here last year, been in our building. Um, certainly respect his opinion and viewpoint of our team. So as we work through it, um, you know, he was a good resource on a, a number of different topics. You know, had the opportunity to sit with him at different points and kind of give his 50,000 feet view maybe of our team, where we were, maybe some of the things that happened from a program standpoint. So a lot of this is just taking a lot of information and processing the information and ultimately arriving at an endpoint that you feel makes the most sense. And that's really kind of where we ended up at the end with, with Lovey. All right, so Nick, you were in one place for a long, long time. You had a great deal of success. So obviously you want to take certain parts of that and you want to bring it with you, but you want to put your own stamp on your own organization. When folks talk about creating a, quote, Patriot South or the Houston Patriots, how accurate, Nick, is that? Like what parts of the Patriot identity are you looking to incorporate in Houston? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. Uh, I'd say any time you run a program or start a new program, you can't just drop an old program into a new space because you have to take inventory of kind of what you have in place. I think we had the benefit, and I would say, you know, I learned an immense – I mean, it, the list is, is endless in terms of the number of things I learned from Coach Belichick. But I think you have to have some principles and beliefs that you want to instill in your people and certain characteristics that you want to be able to identify, whether it's in players or in coaches, that you feel – are going to give you the best chance for success. So the notion of being selfless, putting the team first, having a competitive edge, um, you know, having a certain level of stamina, uh, mental stamina, uh, grit, toughness, those types of things. So certain, I would say, non-football, non-physical related type traits. So those traits are going to be important anytime you build a program. So I would say that's one thing. And the other thing is just being consistent, 
I would say, week to week in terms of your process and, and evolving over time. Because I think, you know, one thing that I've seen from being in the league 20-some-odd years is the league has, has changed quite a bit. And the teams that keep pace with that change or try to stay ahead of the change are the, are the teams that are going to have success. I think one of the underrated things that happened in New England was Bill evolved, I would say, from the time he started to, to where he is now in terms of roster construction, in terms of how the team plays offensively or defensively. So you sort of have to look at your team, make an observation of what you have, and realize, you know what, what each year is its own entity. So you're kind of starting from scratch each, each year even if you have some players that are returning, but there's going to be a lot of new people that come into your building. So I think being open-minded, being adaptable, um, having the mental flexibility to make adjustments, I think those are some of the things that you can carry with you regardless of you know, what program you were in and where you've come from. We're talking to Nick Casario. Nick, I would imagine you knew exactly what you signed up for in the sense that it was not going to be an easy job. There were going to be challenges, right? There was the salary cap drop. There was the lack of high draft picks. There were some tough contracts. So to a certain extent, to a large extent, you knew what you were signing up for. But then within months of your arrival, the news of allegations against Deshaun Watson start to break. Where do you and the team stand with regards to him? Has he? Is it safe to assume, has he played his last down for the team? Yeah, it's a good question, Jim. I think, you know, we've had di- we had dialogue and discussions uh, going back to last year in the spring and even in training camp, and then obviously we got through the season, um, you know, ended where we were. I think Lovey's made some comments about that. I think at some point, you know, the team and, and all parties involved, you know, we're, are hopeful for a resolution. Um, we're probably not to that point yet, Jim. So we're going to take our time, and ultimately, you know, my responsibility is to do what I feel is best for the football team um, you know, by ownership and by our coaching staff and by our players. So we'll work through it. We'll kind of take it day to day. Um, but, you know, as, as Lovey mentioned, you know, at some point, I think a, a resolution of the process will be best for everybody involved, whatever that entails. Nick, let me ask you this. Like, how much has that situation changed the trajectory of the organization in your mind? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we were able to do last season um, with some of the players that we brought in, um, and I would say even, you know, from Coach Cully's standpoint, just kind of put a foundation in place, you know, the expectation, um, try to put a standard in place. Obviously, we made a change at the end of the year, but I think some of the things that we're at least able to establish, um, hopefully we can carry those moving forward with us. So, um, any. It t- anything you know, that you really want to be successful with or you're hoping for long-term success is going to take time. You have to be patient. Um, you have to be very purposeful. Um, and there has to be a, a commitment from all different levels and all different parties. And I think throughout the different uh, areas of the building, um, I think some of the areas, maybe like, things that are unseen, we may be able to do some things sort of behind the scenes. And, and ultimately our job is to support the players and give them the resources that they need where they can go out there and optimize their performance on, uh, on a weekly basis on Sunday. So we're moving towards that direction. Hopefully we continue to build on that from some of the things that we did last year. And ultimately, this league is about wins and losses. That's the bottom line. So the sooner we get to that point, um, you know, the better off we're all going to be. And Nick, with respect, I would ask you one last thing about Deshaun Watson. Like, what kind of – can you give me an indication? What kind of conversations have you had with teams about him? Like, was there ever a point where you thought a deal was imminent or close? Uh. Yeah, I wouldn't say that necessarily particularly that a deal was close or imminent. I think one of the things that's pretty fluid and in teams, whether it's, you know, this time of year, even during the season, you have a lot of different conversations with different teams about a lot of different topics. And, you know, as you work through in season, I'd say up till kind of, you know, November, whenever the trade deadline is, you know, there's certain players that may or may not be available or teams will call and ask about so-and-so, would you consider moving him? So I think once you get past the trade deadline, I think it's pretty quiet, and I think teams are really focused on 
kind of finish in their season. So I think what happens is after the Super Bowl, you know, now there's a finality to the 2021 season. Everybody kind of turns the page and it kind of starts to look at the team building process for the 2022 season. So that's kind of where we are. So I would, and I think that we'll have discussions with different teams at different points about a lot of different things. Um, you know, especially if you get a little closer to the combine and obviously once it started the new league year with, new, with free agency. So I think the conversations will be ongoing. I wouldn't put a particular finite timetable on it in the end. We're talking to Nick Casario for a few more moments. So, Nick, if I bring this thing full circle, you know, you and I could have missed out on this conversation altogether because for those who do not know, the original career plan was that you were going to be in finance and you passed your Series 7 exam. But as somebody close to you said, the fact that you were without football was like an alcoholic shop or stopping cold turkey. What were those days like? You've done your research, Jim, as usual. Nothing, expect nothing less from you. But speaking of the Series 7, I barely passed the Series 7, so I don't know how great of a financial advisor I would have been. But when I, when I was working at Merrill Lynch, you know, in that January, February, March, April, May period, you know, it was a, I had a great life. Um, I was working with my best friend, actually, uh, John Freestab, who's still a financial advisor uh, to this uh, to point in time. Um, and we were enjoying what we were doing. You know, it was making a decent amount of money. Um, but I'd been around involved in sport for, for such a long period of time. And I would say uh, Joe Perella, who, who passed away, uh, you know, last year, um, had a massive influence on my life as it pertains to just love of football and just wanted to coach and be involved. And before it was too late, I figured, you know what, if I'm going to transition into something else outside of business or finance, you know, this was going to be my opportunity. So I literally went on footballscoop.com and just started searching for GA jobs. I drove to Concordia University in Illinois, made a day trip, and interviewed for a GA position there. I drove back to um, Ohio, and then uh, maybe a few weeks later, I drove up to Saginaw, Michigan, and interviewed with Coach Randy Ory um, for a graduate assistant position there. Didn't know anybody, didn't know the school, never been to Saginaw, Michigan. I barely knew where it was, but I knew that I just wanted to be involved in football and be involved in sport, and at some point, we all have to make a decision, both personally and professionally. At the time I was single, you really want to be able to pour your heart and soul into something. So I was able to get the GA position at Saginaw Valley, um, and I was there for two football seasons. And then there was a period, January to June of 2001, where I was a grad assistant um, at uh, Central Michigan with Coach Mike DeBoer. And we actually had a great staff. Scott Leffler, Butch Jones was on that staff. Matter of fact, the safeties coach we just hired Joe Dana was a GA on that staff. So it's interesting how things come full circle. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in my office breaking down film, and Josh called me and said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for a position here in New England as a scouting assistant in player personnel. And I, quite frankly, I had no idea what personnel was. I said, well, you know what, I'm interested. And Josh and I, you know, obviously our relationship goes pretty deep. Um, we had a friendship for a long time. So I literally drove from Mount Pleasant, Michigan, to Detroit, uh, got on an airplane, changed into a suit in a, a bathroom stall, um, got to New England, did the interview, um, interviewed with Scott Pioli um, at the time, and then a week or so later they offered me the position, and, you know, fortunately the rest is history. So um, I know it was a long-winded answer, but it kind of gives some context to, you know, I'd say my career path and how I started to where we are now. I love a good story. That's a really good story. And Scott Pioli is a really good dude. I've enjoyed having him on the program since he's moved on to the media. Really quickly, Nick, so what about Josh? I know you're focused on your team and your situation. Now Josh gets a second opportunity. He's going to coach the Raiders. How do you think he'll do this time around? How do you think he'll be different this time around? 
Yeah, I think he'll do a great job, Jim. I think Josh is one of the smartest coaches that I've been around. Um, he's one, probably one of the best play callers and offensive coordinators um, in the league over the last however many years. And I think Josh is very smart, and he's evolved through the years. I think he's probably learned a lot about his experience. You know, I, I think all of us, when we think about, like, where we were, you know, 15, 10, 10 15 years ago, we've changed a lot. We've matured, matured both emotionally, um, you know, personally. So I think he'll do a great job. Um, you know, he's very smart. He, he's a student of the game. He understands the overall big picture. And I think, you know, the relationship that he and Dave Ziegler have will certainly, I mean, manifest itself. And I think they'll be able to put something pretty cool in place. So I think he's going to do an awesome job. I have a lot of respect and admiration for Josh, not only personally, but professionally. And I'm rooting for him. And Nick, one last thought. I really appreciate your time so much. It's great to get caught up. I, I agree with you. I think that Josh is the smartest guy in the room. And I think that he, he fully owned that that was a lot. He had a lot when he first started off and probably was not ready for all that. Nick, why? I mean, every individual case is different. But if we were to try to generalize, why do you think it is that if, if Bill Belichick is generally accepted as the GOAT, and he is, and you've got the greatest dynasty ever, and it was, why? have his assistants generally not had more success when they've gone out on their own generally yeah it's a good question Jim. it's hard to paint with a broad brush I right mean, bill's a unicorn i mean there's only one of him i think every situation is different i think in the end there has to be a comprehensive commitment from everybody within the organization and a collective vision and understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and that doesn't happen overnight so the reality is it takes time i think everybody wants a quick fix and it's understandable but to put those types of processes, to really implement them really wholeheartedly, you know, it takes a comprehensive commitment from everybody involved. So I think the more time you can spend with people and have an understanding of what's expected, then you just have to be given the opportunity and you have to be able to win enough games along the way while you're putting those processes in place. So I think every situation is different and none of us are really prepared for whatever the circumstances that we walk into. I mean, you know, going back to last year, that was my really first opportunity to sit in that chair and you learn a lot. And I think you just try to just stay consistent day to day and not let too many things overwhelm you and realize that you're going to have to deal with, you know, adversity along the way. And that's just part of learning. And that's part of growing. He is the general manager of the Houston Texans. He was named GM on January 7, 2021. I mentioned 20 years with the Patriots, six rings, 70 divisional titles, and a new opportunity and challenge with Houston. Nick Casario getting caught up in the jungle. Nice for you, Nick, to make your return after all this time. Great to get caught up. I really appreciate the conversation, Nick. Didn't mean to keep you so long, but I appreciate the time, and it's great to talk to you once again, Nick. Really appreciate it, Jim. Happy to do it. Look forward to catching up at some point down the road. You know what that is? That's Shopify's new sales sound. It pumps me up. Because that's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Feels great to close a sale, doesn't it? Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out selling office chairs. Today, we're selling business solutions, technology, and more, and we are not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path, right? Shopify 
powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. I'm telling you, it's absolutely amazing. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Try it. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Rome right now. Again, shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Chip Kelly, Chip, we are about six and a half months out from the start of the season, and the start of spring practice is a lot closer than that, Chip. So how are you doing, and what is life like for you right about now, Chip? We're good. We're in uh, our off-season running and lifting program where our guys are with uh, our strength and conditioning coaches. Um, four days a week and, and getting ready for spring ball, which probably starts in about a month for us. All right, so Chip, I know you're looking forward, but if I were to ask you about last season, you had eight wins, you got a spot in a bowl game, as I mentioned. You and I have talked in the past about where the program was when you arrived. The fact that you had nearly 90 freshmen and sophomores. So how significant was last season in terms of growth for the program? It was, uh, I think it was significant just from the fact that we, we went through the year before with COVID. You know, and I, uh, the whole country went through it. You know, I think um, one of the byproducts is our team grew a lot closer because of it. You know, we were really the only students on campus were the athletes at the time because, you know, as you know, the state of California was really shut down. So um, for those guys to, to do what they did through the COVID year and then to respond like they did last year, you know, to, to get to eight wins was uh, significant. But we had great leadership. You know, I think our players – really took a, took a hold of everything. Um, it's really a player-led team um, and did a great job of it. And we got a significant amount of those guys coming back this year, so we're excited about it. You know, I've talked about that too in the past, but every coach loves to see that, a player-led team. Chip Kelly joining us. Chip, you closed out the year on a three-game winning streak where the average margin of victory was 27 points. You led the conference also in scoring, which capped off an annual improvement in that ranking. How were you feeling about the offensive productivity last season? Did it start to feel like it was looking the way you wanted to see it look? Yeah, and obviously we had some productive players. You know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback, Zach Charbonnet at running back, uh, Greg Dulcich and Kyle Phillips at receiver and tight end, um, and, a, and a veteran offensive line. You know, so I, I think we really played to our, our team's strengths on the offensive side of the ball. And um, But it all started with the quarterback. I thought Dorian did a great job. Um, he got banged up a little bit in the, early, in the middle of the year and missed one game for us. But after he came back from injury, I thought he did a tremendous job. So um, it was fun to watch those guys clicking on all cylinders and obviously those last three games um you know in the fashion that we won i think we scored 37 62 and 42 in three consecutive games so um those guys finish off the season really really strong right 62 on usc which i'll ask you about in a minute but you mentioned dorian you and i have talked about him since he arrived on campus he announced that he will come back this season so after accounting for more than three thousand yards and 30 touchdowns what does the next step in his development look like uh, just gaining more experience. You know, I think the one thing that we love about Dorian here is just his work ethic. You know, he's, he's got a thirst for knowledge. He wants to get better at every single day at everything he does. Um, he's got a great understanding of what we do offensively. You know, I think we can add some things to his plate this year as, as he comes back for his fifth year. Um, even though he's played in four because of COVID, he gets a fifth year here. Um, and he's excited about what the next step is for him. And that's just, you know, more consistency, um, 
developing a, a relationship. We lost a couple of key receivers, um, developing a relationship with some of the some of the new guys, some of the young guys that we have in here, um, and, and then just you know really kind of taking where we finished last season and continuing to build upon that. UCLA head football coach Chip Kelly joining us once again. Hey Chip, I always talk to coaches and GMs about team identity. And from the outside, it seems like you have a very clear offensive identity, physicality, toughness. People outside the program see that as a contrast to what you were running at Oregon. Is it as different as some make it out to be? And if so, what was the thinking behind that change? Um, I think everything's personnel driven. Um, I, I think sometimes though the narrative gets a little skewed with Oregon. I, I think those Oregon teams were extremely tough, extremely physical. We always led the conference in rushing. Um, we usually led the conference in every offensive category. Um, but there was a lot of flash and a lot of sizzle. So people don't associate that sometimes with toughness. But you know, I'll take that group that we had up there in terms of toughness against anybody at that point in time in the in the country. So um, I just think maybe it's a different narrative. You know. Um, we're probably a little bit more traditional with our uniforms here. Um, that's one of the biggest differences. But besides that, football still football. It's still blocking. It's still tackling. It's it's still uh, you know being physical on both sides of the lines of scrimmage and. and uh, that's where we're headed, where we are right now. We're talking to Chip Kelly. Now, Chip, you know, when you have success, the way you're having, your players are having, your name is going to come up with the other jobs. Speaking of Oregon, there was a lot of talk about you and Oregon reuniting. How serious was that on your end? And ultimately, what made you want to stay where you are? Um, I, I don't think any. it, it got real serious. I just think, um, obviously, uh, I have an affection for that place just because I've spent formative times in my career there and know a lot of people that still – are associated with that university, but but this is the best place for me right now. Talking to Chip Kelly, so I'll take a shot at the other one. There are also reports that there might have been some NFL interest as well. I mean, I know you're happy where you are right now, and you just signed that deal. Is a return to the NFL something that might appeal to you down the road at some point? I, yeah, I don't really think down the road. Maybe I'm too old for that now, Romy. I just, you know, you kind of think day to day, you know, and, and really um, I've always been the firm believer of be where your feet are and, and – uh, if you're excited when you get up in the morning to go to work, which I am with the guys that we have here, we've got, you know, great coaching staff, uh, great administration that backs us and everything we do. And then um, our players are just so much fun to be around. You know, they're, they're really focused on, on being really good football players. They're really focused on being really good students, really focused on being really good people. So, um, I think a lot of people would kill for the job I have right now. We're talking to UCLA head football coach Chip Kelly. You know, Chip, part of that job now, too, is working with the transfer portal. Some coaches yeah. seem to really like it. Others seem to really hate it. Where do you come out? I like it. You know, I think kids should have a choice. Um, they do, and every other student has a choice in terms of where they can go to school and where, where they can't. Um, you know, I think you have to manage it the right way. Um, the big thing is that is what is the right fit for the student-athlete and helping them make sure they understand – you know, what this place is all about. Um, if you're about a world-class education, you know, and playing football at the highest level, then we're a good spot for you. Let me ask you this, Chip. Back in December, UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel announced that he was joining the program. Then in January, he flipped to Oklahoma. What was your reaction as that entire process played out? That's uh, football in 2022. You know, that's, what, that's the world we live in. And, um, you know, we're still in nothing but the best uh, in terms of what he gets an opportunity to do at um, – at Oklahoma on to Brent there. And I know Brent's um, obviously going to carry on the great tradition they have at Oklahoma, but um, that's what this is all about. You know, sometimes it comes down to 11 hour decisions with, you know, uh, with some kids, but um, again, we, we explain everything we have to offer. Um, and then we hope that that's the right fit for the, for the student athlete. But we're, we're excited about the kids. We did have it. We did get in um, a couple of enroll, early enrollee freshmen, 
um, and then some of the transfers that we already got in here. Um, we're really excited about that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all going forward and getting ready for the Bowling Green season. So that's, I mean, the Bowling Green opener, and that's what we're looking forward to. Talking to Chip Kelly for a few more moments, and I appreciate the visit, Chip. Let me ask you this. Your second-to-last regular season game was that blowout of USC, 62-33. The Trojans then hired Lincoln Riley, of course, from Oklahoma. He's been very active in high school recruiting. And also the transfer portal since he arrived. I get that you're focused on your team, not that team, but what was your reaction to that hire? I really didn't have a reaction. I mean, I, I don't – whether it was the reaction with who they hired at Oregon or Washington State or Washington, it's – you know, we just worry about ourselves. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to worry about other people. So, you know, we just focus and concentrate on what we can control and how we do things here. And um, I know he's a heck of a coach. I know Oregon got a good coach. I know Washington State. I thought Jake did a great job up there. I know Kalen DeBoer from Fresno got the Washington job. So, I mean, it's just the nature of the sport we're in, that there's a lot of turnover. I think there was four in our league this year, and there was a couple of the year before. And, um Two things don't change. That's Kyle Whittingham at Utah and David Shaw at Stanford. After that, then it's all gonna, it's all gonna be a little different every time you go to a coach's meeting here. So, um, just is what it is. That's kind of funny. The two things that don't change are those two guys. That's the truth. Let me ask you one more thing before you go. I'm gonna shift gears. You coached D'Amico Ryan's when you were with the Eagles, and you made yeah. the point that he would one day make a great head coach. He just finished mm-hmm. up his first season as an NFL D coordinator. He's already getting interviewed for head coaching jobs. What did you see in him that made you think that? What makes him unique? Um, he's special. You know, he's got a unique leadership to him. Um, he's got a unique demeanor to him. Uh, he's an unbelievable competitor. Uh, he's extremely thought, he's extremely well thought out. Um, very detailed. You know, I, the first time I was around D'Amico, you could just tell that, that he was special. And then I, I'll say it again. I said, whoever is fortunate enough to hire him, um, is going to get a heck of a head coach. And I think he'll be a a really, really good head coach for a long, long time in that league because uh, he's got a lot of special qualities. And I and I'm not maybe the first, maybe I was the first to say, but I'm not the only one. I think anybody that ever is around D'Amico for a short amount of time can really truly understand that he's special and I think he's going to be a heck of a head coach in the National Football League. He is entering his fifth season with the Bruins. He is the recipient of those five National Coach of the Year awards. Agreed to that four-year extension last month. UCLA is going to open up against Bowling Green on September 2nd. Chip Kelly is the Bruins head coach. Chip, good to have you back in the jungle. Always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Hi, Romy. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to the next one. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. I love this product. I use it Now, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar? You've got the one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite programs, you watch sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbors, best friends, log in for all the good stuff. Listen, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So I've been talking about this parade in the wake of the Rams winning the Super Bowl Sunday night. Of course, the question immediately is, when is the parade? And the reason for that is not because parades are so awesome. They're not. They're generally pretty lame. But if you know anything about L.A., 
you know we love a championship parade. And you know our championship parades are pretty awesome. They are. Am I right? Mad Dog. Thank you to the greatest fans in the world. Yeah! Yeah! Who let the dogs out? And to those who speak Spanish, les agradecemos y les dejimos que el año que viene lo haremos otra Mi hombre. Listen, you know how I always say there are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. You can't take a pill to get you where you need to go quickly to skip ahead the whole process. There actually is a little life hack that I figured out that I want to share with you. If you're ever having a bad day or if you ever feel like you need a little pick-me-up, a little extra lift, you're depressed, you're down, I just... You know, I'm just talking about a little, just you need a little pick-me-up. Go to YouTube, fire up Mark Madsen's championship parade speech. If you are fortunate enough to spend five minutes or 20 minutes around that speech, your life will be better for it. Trust me. And normally I'm not a big championship parade guy. Love the Mad Dog. To me, championship parades generally are pretty lame. Occasionally you'll get a great speech. Or a great moment. You know, something like Mad Dog or Jason Kelsey screaming in a mummer's costume. Or Chase Utley dropping F-bombs. World champion. World champion. Few and far between. I mean, when you get it, it's awesome. Or one of the legends... Corey Crawford dropping two F-bombs and a nuts blast. All right, Chicago! Woo! Biggest bunch of beauties in the league. Worked their nuts off for this trophy. Incredible. But overall, championship parades are pretty lame, pretty anticlimactic. You know, but there is this idea floating around right now for the Rams parade, which is pretty wild. The idea is this. The Lakers and the Dodgers never got their parades when they won their championships because of COVID. So let's do it all at once. Let's combine it all into one big parade. LeBron tweeted, we, Dodgers and Rams, should all do a joint parade together with a live concert afterwards to end it. And he's got a million exclamation points. City of champions. Congrats, Rams, once again. Again, to repeat, normally I am not a big parade guy. And the idea of three teams having a joint parade sounds like the corniest thing ever. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. The best idea. I am so about this. I don't want to see this. I have to see it. The only thing better than the Rams having a championship parade would be the Lakers and Dodgers taking part. That is the best thing I think I've ever heard. I mean, who wouldn't want to see a team that's five games below 500 having a championship parade for something they did a year and a half ago? That's awesome. I would love to see a team that is closer to missing the playoffs than automatically qualifying for them having a victory parade. Maybe they could fire Frank Vogel from a parade float. 
Like championship parades generally are worth ignoring, except this one. That would be must-see TV. Hell, I might even go there myself and stand in the streets just to watch the Rams drive by with a couple of Lakers and Dodgers hanging on the back of the bus. I want all teams that are five games below 500 to be driving through the streets, partying their asses off, smashing beers, getting wasted, going crazy. Who wouldn't want to see a bunch of guys celebrating a title that they won a year and a half ago? Hey, everybody remember when we won that championship? No, not the one the Bucks won. The one before that. Wasn't that incredible? A team that won a title on Sunday, partying with a team that won a title about a billion years ago. That makes about as much sense as having a victory parade for the 85 Lakers and the 88 Dodgers. That title was so long ago, Dwight Howard left the team for a year and came back, and he's still one of the few guys left from the championship team. Avery Bradley was with that team. He left. He played for two other teams, and now he's back. Rajon Rondo left, played for two teams, came back, and was traded again. The bald eagle is in Chicago. J.R. Smith is a college golfer. One dude's now coaching in Dallas. So who does that leave us with? LeBron, AD, THT, Dwight, the coach who they're about to fire and probably will the day of the parade, and who else? I mean, what an absolutely incredible idea that would be. I would love to hear the victory speeches from the guys who just lost three straight and seven of nine and might miss the playoffs. I want to hear them shout out to the greatest fans in the world. In the world. I'd love hearing the championship parade cliches like, let's do this again next year. From a team that's five games under 500 and sinking like a rock. Yeah, and don't think I've forgotten about the Dodgers. Hell yes, they should be a part of that parade too. What's better than a parade for a bunch of guys who are currently locked out? Oh, did you even know that? That Major League Baseball is in the midst of a lockout. Now you do. You're welcome. So you'd have the Super Bowl champs parading around with a sub-500 team and a team that's locked out of its sport. The Rams partying with a team that can't win and a team that can't play. Best thing ever. Can Pat Riley leave his Miami Heat corner office, grab a mic at that parade, and guarantee another championship? Hey, yo, Cooper Cup, I know you absolutely crushed it on Sunday, but can you and your SB MVP trophy make some room for Corey Seager? He won the World Series MVP back in 2020. Who cares that he's a Texas Ranger now? He's just as important to this city as you are. Who's the genius? Probably rich in copyright hills. Who's going to make millions selling a three-way split? Jacked up jersey. Dodgers sleeves. Lakers back. Rams front. You know, for all those... Ultimate LA fans. Yeah! Greatest fans in the world. Greatest idea in the world. Yeah! yeah! A three way parade.
I can't wait. I will be there. Somebody get me the map. Never mind. I'm going to get the map myself. I'll be on the first corner. I'm not going to miss anything. Matt in L.A., a.k.a. the plumber. Let me tell you something, Chad. Sit your ass down and listen to what this guy has to say. What's up, Matt? Romulus James. Hey, first off, another thing that's hard besides a good take for Johnny Wideface to wrap his head around is a hat that fits. Hey, Johnny Wideface, how about you just shut that pie hole already? Eric Weddle is a made man. He brought L.A. their first championship since the Raiders did in 83. And although I'm not a Rams fan, I got to give it up to the Rams brass for having brass eggs to call my man Weddle, to bring in OBJ, to go to Cancun and hang out with Matt Stafford and bring him. Because you know what? Scoreboard, bitches. L.A. has won one more world championship. Ram fans got it in their pocket. I got to tip my cap to them. And haters like you, Johnny Cranium Case, get nothing and lose. Good day, sir. Hey, Romy, just wanted to um, send condolences. Apparently, our guy Calvin Vegas has died. So I want to say RIP Calvin Vegas. Me and him had beef. But, you know, this is bigger than uh, the jungle, man. May my dude Cal rest Dude, dude, peace. dude, stop. Is that true? Wait, yo, Matt, is that true? Yeah, dude. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're getting word that uh, he passed, man. I mean, uh, and I don't want to say any other details because that's all I've got. In the, but I've gathered information that that's official, man. So, I mean, you know, that guy's a jungle legend. May he live in perpetuity and all our hearts in our minds but yeah i think uh r.i.p cal in vegas man i wouldn't joke about that romy no i appreciate that all right matt thank you very much brother appreciate that i i had not heard that and if that is true i'm very sorry to hear that i i'm i'm sorry to hear that i'm going to reserve further judgment until i see more to matt's point i would not joke about something like that but that since that is the first time i've heard that I want to see some more information, but if in fact that is true, I'm very sorry to hear that. Good night now!